Welcome to the Impact Church podcast. We are a community that doesn't pretend to have all the answers, but aims to have all the hope that you could ever need. We pray that this message is helpful and encourages you no matter what season of life you're in. Enjoy this week's message. But this morning, I want to kick off, um, if you can pop my first picture up there for me, Matt, I want to kick off with something a little bit unusual um, with these words. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Are you comfortable? <laughs> I picked a friendly picture of a snake. It's an interesting way to kick off a sermon, right? It's an interesting way to kick off a sermon, to tear into your audience straight away and say, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? How would you feel if we got up here each week and we kicked off with that? I think, I think we should write more songs about wrath and things like that. I think it's great. I'll come back to that story um, in just a moment. It's, it's certainly an attention-grabbing one, but maybe not a particularly persuasive one. And I'll come back to that idea in a moment. I'll tell a slightly more uh, novel story, first of all. Two, two years ago, January 2019, uh, Eleanor and I arrived in San Francisco um, on part of our uh, honeymoon after we got married amongst bushfires. Then we flew overseas, and there were whispers of this little thing called COVID. But we were in America. We weren't thinking about that. Um, little did we know the next two years would go the way they did. But we were, we'd arrived in San Francisco and everything was going quite well and no borders were shut and nothing was, you didn't have to wear masks. I didn't really, I don't think I'd ever worn a surgical mask before at that point. So things were going really quite well. And we arrived at the car hire venue where we'd arranged to pick up just the, uh, the budget friendly like Toyota Corolla Mazda 2 kind of equivalent um, from, from the car rental agency in order to be able to travel down the west coast um, of America over about the next 10 days. I don't know if you've ever heard of something called a woo personality, um, but it's something that I've been told a few times that I have, and it's this acronym that means winning others over, a woo personality. And I've been told a few times, you've got such a woo personality, and I've never quite known how to take that. But it's in, it's in situations like this in life where it does certainly come in helpful. So we arrive at the car rental agency and we walk inside and there's one gentleman who's in the Hertz shirt and he's clear, oh sorry I wasn't supposed to drop company names, um, in the Hertz shirt uh, in, in the car rental agency and Eleanor and I walked in and there were two other groups in there. And I've heard this, I've read this before, perhaps you have if you like a good drama book, the tension was palpable. Now I just always kind of thought that was graphic language to help you understand if you were just reading something and you couldn't really feel it. But I want to tell you that in that Hirsch rental agency that morning, the tension was palpable. You could almost taste it. It was, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> and we walked in and we had on one side a father and a son from Australia. And we had on the other side uh, a, a French couple, two men. And they were both waiting for a car to pick up. And Eleanor and I walked in and went, oh, it's strange that there'd be a queue. But lucky we booked in. So we went up to the, uh, to the person who was hiring out the cars that morning and said, oh, Eleanor and Caleb Reed, we booked our car about six months ago. And they said, oh, wonderful, we'll look up in the system. And then he turned around about 15 seconds later and said, oh, actually, there's not a single car in the whole of San Francisco right now that I can give to you. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, perhaps you've experienced that the fe- when you're on your honeymoon, right, and you're the guy, you kind of want to be the, like, I can solve anything, right? Like, <laughs> so my woo personality immediately kicked into gear and I was like 
this is this is a challenge. Okay, like two can play at this game. But one thing um, that's important in our lives is regular meal routines, um, because Eleanor, in particular, likes to um, have meals at certain times in order to be able to. Have you heard of hangry? There's another term, maybe we just use it in our household. But we haven't had a proper breakfast yet that morning, and I realised very quickly that without planning it, we had suddenly gone into a good cop, bad cop tactic with this Hertz guy. And Eleanor immediately went for the tactic of, what do you mean there's no car? <laughs> six months ago. And I looked around the room and thought, actually, Eleanor's mood is really mild. Now I know why the tension's so high. And so we had this Australian father and son on one side, this French couple on the other side, and I quickly realised, oh, we've just entered a battle zone. <laughs> And we just walked in after what had been probably a fully-fledged yelling match. <laughs> so I had a choice to make in that moment. This was going to mess up our trip, by the way. We had, we had dead, like accommodation booked, a, a, another flight to catch. We had things to, to make it to. So that was all ticking over in my mind. I registered that my wife needed to have the muesli and the yogurt that we had in our backpacks before <laughs> she was going to do any negotiating. And I realised that the French and the Australian guys who were already there had made it so that this Hertz guy wasn't feeling in a particularly helpful mood. <laughs> so my woo personality kicked in. And I decided, I think kindness is my only option here. <laughs> now, it's important to say, kindness can be used to manipulate a situation. It can't. You can be kind to someone in order to get something. And I'll let you make up your mind for yourself whether I was doing that uh, on this particular scenario or whether I was doing it for my lovely new bride. But the point is, it kicked in for me, okay, I think kindness is my only option here because I think everyone here has already probably run out the anger or bad cop option on the morning. And so immediately I began to, oh yeah, oh that's a shame, tell me about it. How's your week been? It must be stressful at this time of year. And we started to negotiate. Anyways, I'll, I'll skip to the punchline. In the end, um, I got to the point where I said, look, I just want to get a car, so can I come help you change the oil in the cars in the car park? <laughs> I, I was trying everything I could. Anyways, a few moments later, uh, a Camry pulled in, so slightly bigger than the Corolla we booked, a van pulled in, and there were three groups of us and two cars available. Who do you think got a car first? Eleanor and I drove out of there in a car way better than we'd booked. First, despite arriving third that morning. And I still, to this day, am not sure whether I feel bad about that or not. <laughs> but the point of the story is, <laughs> kindness was the only option that I could think of that was gonna get us anywhere, quite literally. <laughs> And so I went with it. And like I said, I'll, I'll let you decide for yourself whether I was being kind for the benefit of myself or, or whatever it is. But the, the point is, we've probably all been in a situation before. Maybe you can think of a situation this week where you've been kind in order to either get something for self or in order to get something for the other that's in that situation. And it's the second of those that I want to focus on this morning. There's that tension of when you show someone unmerited, perhaps, favour. When you show someone, you go the extra mile to serve someone. You show kindness for the other. And you hope that, in response to that, they will get something. Not necessarily try and get something for you, but there's those times where we're kind of Christian, Christians are pro at this. Because unfortunately, we have a little bit of a reputation of, oh, you're just being nice because you want me to come to church on Sunday. I don't know if you've ever been in that conversation before. 
I've been in a conversation in a university residence before, handing out red frogs, handing out meals, and they turn around and say, okay, what's this going to cost me? What time to church on Sunday? <laughs> and it's this idea of kindness, and, and, and people assume that there's something in it for you as well, when really, perhaps you just mean for them to get something as a result of your kindness. And there's that tension we feel when we're kind to someone or we're patient with someone or we show grace to someone in order that we might see them make a decision that we think could be favourable, not necessarily for our lives, but for their lives. We genuinely care for this person. But no matter how kind and how encouraging and how gracious you are, they still won't go in the way that you wish they would, that you can see would be better for their life. Their lives. I'm, the parents in here are nodding well. <laughs> but they just can't quite grasp a hold of it despite your best efforts. Perhaps you've felt that tension before. And I want to talk about that tension this morning. But before I do, I want to pull out one of the thoughts again from last week's talk that Jono gave us around the idea of the virtue of kindness. And the fact that kindness has become something that's not just uh, a virtue or a characteristic that we Christians are really good at, right? Kindness has become a, a, a worldwide virtue. But one of the things I want us to have in mind as we consider this tension of showing kindness in order to get something for someone, you know, showing kindness to someone in order to get something for them, not necessarily even for ourselves, is the idea that kindness is not just a virtue in and of itself for the sake of itself, so much as it is about who you're doing it for and who you're doing it to. Because the Christian belief of kindness is not just that we are kind in order to benefit ourselves. It's not even just that we're kind so that we might get them to make a decision for themselves. I.e. make a decision to follow Jesus for themselves. It's actually because we show kindness because that's what God did for us. Yeah. And from that kindness given to us, we hope that by also extending kindness, we might be able to help and bless others. Bless you. So back to my original thought from this morning. We'll turn to Luke chapter 3, verse 7. And we'll consider one of Jesus' predecessors and his approach to the idea of getting people to turn the way he thought that they might. He used these words, John the Baptist. So he was saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come. Not quite kindness. <laughs> if you're familiar with the story of John the Baptist, he's described as someone who's making a way in order that Jesus might be able to come and bring in the kingdom of God. And you could put it gently based on this little excerpt from one of his sermons. But his tactic was not necessarily kindness. <laughs> Fair to say. And so it goes without saying that he was rather confused when Jesus came along and did something radically different in order to announce the kingdom. Consider, if I throw up this next photo, where we've heard tactics like this in the world around us. Maybe you've been a part of a protest before or been a part of something similar to that before. And my point isn't today to point at particular issues that are very much worth getting passionate about, but my point is just to point to the method by which we try to progress what we think is the right way to go. Do we see the world around us operating in kindness very often in order to persuade us or coerce us into a particular view or a particular action? Not really. It's not something that we see the world around us resort to 
very often. And I'll share a reason that I think that is in just a few moments. But for us, we, of course, look to Jesus, like I said, as the model for our kindness. Jesus showed us kindness in order that we might be able to show it to others. And John the Baptist knew this. John the Baptist knew this at least to some degree. Check out the words of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Just a few verses later, John the Baptist has just delivered a firecracker of a sermon calling all of his audience snakes. Great stuff. And then consider this. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation, I would be expecting something too, being called snake, and they all were thinking carefully in their hearts about John and what he had said, whether he himself perhaps was the Christ. Now, remember the, the environment that we're in. There's a waiting. There is a, there is a longing by the people of Israel who John is sharing these words with. They're, they're waiting on someone. And in their minds, they're waiting on someone to deliver them from Roman oppression. They're expecting some kind of warrior king to come and sweep them out of the situation they found themselves in. And listen to how John describes it. It would have certainly encouraged this line of thought. John responded to them saying, As for me, I baptize you with water. I'm quite mild. Me, the guy who calls you snake, I'm quite mild. But he is coming who is mightier than I. And I am not even fit to untie the straps of his sandals. And at that point, they must have been thinking, geez, what's this guy going to say to us? <laughs> he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, man, this is sounding fierce. I don't know. I'm sitting through one of John the Baptist's messages and then being told that someone mightier and someone with more fire was coming, I would have been a little nervous. <laughs> if John had given me that warning after calling me a snake. But who did we get? Who came next? What did we see in the person of Jesus? Certainly someone mighty. Certainly someone worthy of all of our honour and praise, we believe. Certainly baptising us. You're welcome for the American spelling of baptised, by the way. Baptised you with the Holy Spirit. Certainly we see those things. But perhaps not in the way that John the Baptist, those listening to him, or perhaps even we would have considered because we got a messiah we got a jesus who welcomed adulterous women who welcomed children who welcomed corrupted tax collectors and fishermen into his life and dined with them and showed them patience and grace and kindness he warned those who they would have considered most righteous that they in fact were missing the point he founded a mission that is alive to this day, built on not only loving the ones it's convenient to love, but loving your enemy. And finally, in one of the most radical acts that we cannot get enough of talking about, it would seem, in dying on a cross on behalf of all mankind. I don't know what they were expecting, after being told someone mightier than John the Baptist was coming. But I don't think perhaps it was someone as gentle as that. Paul puts it this way when he considers exactly what it is that we should learn from the method of Jesus in his life. In Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing, and the words from the song we were singing together this morning, that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. 
They would have probably expected someone with sharp words and motivating speeches and harsh rebukes, and certainly there were some of those. But what Paul, writing just a little bit later to the church in Rome about when pondering the methodology of God, of Jesus, of Jesus, of God in the flesh, and the way that he would lead us towards a different way of life, persuade us to live and make different choices, was the kindness. And to think that kindness and gentleness and patience and restraint, Paul warns us, do you think lightly of these things? Do you think they are weaker, perhaps, than a loud voice or a persuasive or a coercion or a manipulation, which we can think of several examples of? He says, no, do you think lightly of those things? Do you not see that the kindness was not just given you for the sake of kindness, but most powerfully at all, it was given so that it would lead you, lead you towards repentance. And as we've already heard today, that idea of repentance perhaps makes us feel uncomfortable and makes us shift in our seat. But I love the idea that repentance is not just about what we're turning away from. It necessitates that we turn away. But it's what we're turning towards. Yeah. Perhaps that we should focus on more if that idea makes us uncomfortable. You see, God's kindness was not just a virtue for the sake of itself or the, for the sake of the giver. Kindness was a means or a tactic even, if you will. The goal being life change. God was kind to us in the hope that we might repent and turn towards a kingdom way of living. The tension I pointed out earlier, when we're kind to someone because we know there is a better way for them to go and, we, and we're patient and we're kind and we're gracious and we're encouraging and we just so desperately want for them that better way of life that we can see. Can you imagine the way God feels that tension for his children when he sends his one and only son to live the kindest, most gracious life of all, punctuated by the death on a cross in a call to repentance and we miss it. You see, John the Baptist's message, sure, it was also repent, similarly to what God was calling us to according to Paul in his letter to the Romans. But his method was a little different. His, me his method was a warning. It was strong language. But we see the person of Jesus flip the game on the way that it works. And the John the Baptist way, as I've already contrasted this morning, feels similar to a lot of the ways that we hear messages of persuasion delivered today with fear, with volume, with video. I don't know if you've ever been on Facebook during an American election campaign and seen some of the media that gets out there with striking anxiety, whatever it is. It, it, would go, it would go directly in the flight of what we see God trying to persuade us with, with his grace, his patience, and his kindness. What was the tactic that God used for us? It was not anger, fear, punishment, Judgment, And you know why I think that's so important? Because those things don't lead us to change, do they? We can change a mind with fear. We can change a mind with a persuasive argument. But how do you change a heart? How do you change a life? It's something that you can only lead someone into. And kindness is not a popular way to do that. Kindness is not a popular way to do that. And perhaps another definition of love that we might be familiar with alludes to this. Love is patient, love mm -hmm. is kind. Helps mm -hmm. us to understand exactly why this isn't a popular method. Look at that first word, patient. It takes time. Mm -hmm. Kindness takes time. 
It might not get results as quickly as we want, but if it's life change in people that we're after, then it would seem God believes that kindness was the best way to lead us towards that way of living. The target is people, the goal is life change. Kindness is the vehicle perhaps we most see used by God, by Jesus, in order to get us there. Fear or punishment or judgment may change behavior, but it doesn't often change hearts, which is God's primary concern for us. So in thinking about that, in our mission as a community, as a, as a people of, of Jesus, in thinking about Impact Church as a community, and thinking about the fact that we put down a stake and said, we want to do life together and grow closer to Jesus, yes, but not at the cost of it not meaning that we can't also share that hope with the community around us. We want to be a community that is engaging, that is helpful, that is loving, that is kind to not only those it's easy to be for, to not only churched people, but to unchurched as well. If we don't intentionally come back to this regularly, the gravitational pull will be to focus on self, to focus on what's comfortable for us, to focus on what we want out of a Sunday, on what we want out of a working beer, connected, whatever it's going to be. But we have to fight and look at what's modelled to us by God in kindness, to see that kindness extended to those around us who perhaps it's hardest to give to, is what can lead them to repentance, ultimately to a change of heart and to life and life to the full, as Jesus would say. It's important to acknowledge too that sometimes it's hard to be kind. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes the the patience seems to run out. The fuel, tank, the fuel tank seems to run a little on empty. But you know what else is different about the Jesus, the Christian way of kindness to that of the world? We've already said it. The source of our kindness. Mm. The source of our kindness. Where we draw it from. If we're going to be a kind of community that is committed to showing kindness to the world around us, to the community around us, we're also going to be have to be committed to drawing on the kindness of God for us in worship, in community, in studying the Word together, in praying together, encouraging one another, in lifting one another, one another up when things get difficult, and showing kindness to one another. And the difference is that we have God as the source, as the inspiration for our kindness. It must overflow from the kindness that we've already received from Christ. So a few questions to consider as I finish up this morning. Have you ever been frustrated by the slow process of leading someone or yourself to a change of heart? Has that ever been frustrating before? Perhaps you can think of some situation right now in your own life. And is there someone in your life who you recognize needs a slow continuation of kindness from you right now. That's all That's all that you can give them. And how can you avoid or perhaps recover from becoming a little bit burnt out by this process? I encourage you to consider those things this week. I want to pray for us that um, that kindness that God showed us would be something that we could draw on for ourselves as well this morning. So if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we thank you that 
You sent your one and only son to die for each of us in the ultimate act of kindness. In such a way that we will never be able to repay. But Lord, we thank you that that same act, that same sacrifice that you made for us, Lord, is now the inspiration, is the reason that we can have an overflow of kindness to show to the world around us, for family members, for friends who we see, Lord, are not living the way you would call them to do so. Lord, we pray that you would inspire us with your kindness to go into our week and, Lord, be able to show that same radical kindness that you showed us into the lives of those around us. In family, in work, in friendship groups, Lord. Pray that you would refill us this morning, Jesus, with the knowledge, Lord, of what you've done for us as the inspiration, Lord. But not only that, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be stirring each one of us, Lord, to think of perhaps where we've been leaning on our own strength, Lord, and remind us to come back to you as the source of kindness for each and every one of us. In your name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for this week's message. We hope it was helpful to you and practical for your life. Ultimately, we pray that this inspired you to consider taking a next step in your relationship with Jesus, whatever that may look like for you. If that's something you would like to do, we would encourage you to get in touch with us via the details in the podcast description. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.